Chapter Fourteen of the Castle of Twilight. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sunny. The Castle of Twilight, by Margaret Horton Porter, Chapter Fourteen. Eleanor. When Laurie. Her message given, started back upstairs again. Alex was at her side. At Lenore's door, they both stopped, till Madame opened it. Laurie entered the room at once, but Eleanor shook her head at the maiden, and bade her seek her rest. Then Alex, disappointed, but too weary for speech, followed the chattering demoiselles down the corridor. There were all the rooms, and, saying not a word to one of them, shut herself into her own chamber. Once there, she disrobed with speed, but when she had crept into her bed and pulled the coverings up above her, she found that sleep was an impossibility. There was a dual weight at her heart, which for the moment she could not analyze. It was. As if some great misfortune had befallen her, yet Lenore lived, was remarkably well, and the child—ah, the child! It was the first, almost, that Alex had thought of the child, a girl, another girl, in Lou Cooper's school, a thing of inaction, of resignation, of quiescence, the sort of fate. The gist of age, alas, alas, a girl to grow up alone, here in this wilderness, companionless, without hope of escape. Thus, do inarticulately, everyone in Lucupu School was meditating with Alex, till at last, one by one, they fell asleep, each in his light bed. The morning was far spent, and an April sun steamed brightly across her coverlet. With Alex finally woke, her sleep had done her good, and there was no trace of melancholy in her air as she rose, and made herself ready for the day. She was healthfully hungry, but there was another interest, greater than hunger. That has caused her so speedily to dress. Hurrying out and down the hall, she stopped at the door of Lenore's room and tapped there softly. Laurie opened it at once and smiled a good morning to her. Come down in, she whispered. Lenore would have thee see the child. Alex entered softly and halted near the bed. Transfixed by the sight of Lenore, never, even in the early days of her bridal, had Gerald's lady been so beautiful. The mysterious spells of her holy estate was on her, was clearly visible in her brilliant eyes, in the rosy flush of her cheeks, in the coyly burning gold of her wondrous hair, in the smiling, gentle. Lunder of her manner, there was something newly born in her, 
some still ecstasy that had come to her together with the tiny bundle at her side. Come, though, Alex, and look at her," she said in a weak voice, smiling happily and casting tender love looks at the little thing. Alex went over and, with Laurie's aid, unwrapped enough of the small creature for her to see its tiny red face and feeble, fluttering hands. As she gently touched one of the cheeks, the wide. Blue baby eyes stared up at her, unwinking in their new wonder at the world. While Noah watched them eagerly, hungrily, neither she nor Alex noticed that Laurie had moved off to a distance and was staring dully out of a window. When Alex had stood for some moments over the baby, wondering in her heart what to say to Noah. The mother looked up at her with those newly unfathomable eyes, and said softly, "Put her into my arms, Alex." Alex did so, laying the infant carefully across the mother's breast. Lenora's arms closed around it, and her eyes fell shut, while a smile of unutterable peace lighted up her gentle face. Alex knew that it was time for her to go, and moved as she had never been moved before in her young life. She started toward the door, glancing as she went at Laurie, who followed her. "How beautiful she is!" whispered Alex as they stood together on the threshold. Laurie nodded, but there was no sign of joy in her face. Alas for them both," she said quietly. "There have been enough daughters in Lukopolsko." To this, Alex could find no reply, and so, with a slight note, she left the room and went down to the morning meal. Madame Eleanor was not there. After the strain of the past night, she had gone to her room with a little after sunrise. Leaving Laurie to care for the young mother. At breakfast, then, Courtois and Alex sat nearest the head of the table, but they did not talk together. In fact, no one said very much during the course of the meal. Instead of the joyful gaiety that might have been expected, now that the dead lord's lady was safely through her child. A dual gloom seemed to overhang everything, to weigh very one down. Courtois ate in silence, heavy browed and brooding, his head bent far over. David, in no humour for wait, scarcely spoke. Even Alex, whose heart had been somewhat lightened by the light of Lenoir and her happiness, presently succumbed to the atmosphere. And began to reflect that the last hope of the castle was gone, that the line of Kupuskul had died for ever. And neither she nor anyone else paused to think that, if the little twilight baby asleep upstairs had understood the true nature of her welcome into the world, 
she might readily have been persuaded to escape again as rapidly as possible into her blue ether where pain and unwelcome were things unknown when alex had eaten she returned to the sick room and madame being still asleep insisted upon taking laurie's place place till the weary girl had eaten and slept lenoir had already taken some nourishment and the baby had been fed and while the noon sunshine poured a flood of gold over the world the mother and child drowsed happily together in their bed alex having set the room as much to rights as was possible seated herself by one of the open windows and straight away began to dream her thoughts were of her own life of the new life that she should now soon enter upon and of what would be for her when she should really reach the vast world that lay behind the barrier of eastern hills that world that laurie had found but could not say that world from which lenoir had come and whither garrod had betaken himself to die alex mused for a long time and in her untaught way philosophized over the sad stories of those in the castle and the prospect of the real history that were might be for her when she could leave le couponscore and it was in the midst of this reverie that the door from laurie's room opened softly and madame came in near the threshold she paused looking intently at the sleeping mother and child so that she did not at first perceive alex who sat motionless transfixed by the change which since yesterday had become upon madame if there were gloom through the castle because of the disappointment in the sex of lenoir's child that gloom was epitomized in the face of madame eleanor she was paler and older than alex had ever seen her before the white in her hair was more marked than the dark every line in her face had deepened her eyes tearless as they were seemed somehow faded and her manner bespoke an unutterable weariness she looked haggard and old and worn and yet as she gazed at unconscious picture of youth and tender love the joy of the world and the life of her race asleep there before her her face softened and her mouth lost a little of its hardness after some moments of this gazing seeing that still she had not moved alex went to her laurie was weary madam and so i took her place while lenoir and the baby slept she said eleanor nodded and alex wondered uneasily if she could leave the room after a second or two however madame shook away her preoccupation and turned to the girl 
Alex, she said, none hath as yet been despatched for Monsieur de Saint-Nazaire, and I will not have on Solomon baptized the child. Go though until Courtois to ride and fetch the bishop as soon as may be. We perform one last ceremony for this house. Give him my good greeting. Tell him the noise well and the babe, a girl. Mon Dieu, a girl, has thee, Alex, and though it is not return, I will sit here while Lenoir sleeps. Alex bowed, but still stood hesitating, near the door, till Madame looked up at her impatiently. When I have given Cotroix his message, let me bring thee food and wine, Madame, though it'll be ill, and though it's out. Nay, begone, Alex, bring nothing to me. Why should I eat? Why should I eat when after me there will be none of mine to eat in Cripple's cool? And it was with a kind of groan that Madame moved slowly across the bedside. When Alex left the room, she was still standing there, gazing down upon Lenoir, who, if awake, could hardly have borne the look with which the Madame regarded her. An hour later, Courtois was on his way to Saint-Nazaire, but he did not return with Monseigneur. Till even son of the next day, arrived at the castle, the bishop was given chance for food and rest after his sight, before he was summoned to Lena's room, where Madame received him. From Courtois, on their way, Saint-Nazaire had learned of the disappointment of the castle, so that he was prepared for what he found. He read Eleanor's mind from her face, and was not surprised at it, but from his own manner, no one could have told that he felt anything but the utmost delight with the whole affair. He was full of congratulations and facilitations of every kind. He was witty, he was gay, he was more talkative than anyone had ever seen him before. And he took the baby and handled it, cried to it, cooed to it, with the air of an experienced old building. Lenore, still radiant with her happiness of motherhood, brightened yet more under the chair of his presence, and in her unexpected joy of the bishop, found some consolation for the cloud of misery that shouted madam. Indeed, he watched Lenore with unaffected delight, seeing with amazement the miracle that had been worked in her, and knowing her now for the first time as what he had been before, her marriage, when there was, in her nature, none of the melancholy, the morbidness, the pain of loneliness, that had for so long clouded her life. Lenoir was not strong enough to endure even his cheerful presence very long, and when Laurie presently stole in, he seized the opportunity that he had been waiting for, and, on some light excuse, drew Madame with him out of the room. 
The moment that they were alone together, his gay manner dropped from him like a cloak, and she looked upon the woman before him with piercing eyes. Eleanor, he said severely, "It were well and thou came with me for a little time before God. There is written on thy face the tale of that old time inward rebellion that hath been so long asleep." That I had hoped it dead. Madame looked at him with something of defiance. His pleasure very plainly to be read in her brilliant eyes. My lord, she said coldly, thou art weird with thy right. It were well and thou throwest rest. I have already rested. Where wouldn't thou rather be, in thy own room or in the chapel? Charles, Madame spoke with angry impetuosity. Think you I am to be treated as a child? There are times when all of us are children, Eleanor. Times when we need the father hand, the father guidance. I would not be harsh with thee were there another way. Nevertheless, thou must do my bidding. She led him in silence to her own room, and they entered it together. Saint Nazaire closing the door behind him, Madame seated herself at once in the broad chair near the window, and the bishop paced up and down before her. The room was warm, for the night air was soft, and a half-dead fire gleamed upon the stone hearth. A torch upon the wall had been lighted. And two candles burned on the table nearby. By this light, Sinazir could watch Eleanor's face as he walked. It was some moments before he spoke, and when he began, his voice had changed again, and was as gentle as a woman's. This birth of a girl child hath been a grievous disappointment to thee, dear friend. Eleanor replied only by a look, but what words could have expressed half so much? Art thou angry with me, Eleanor? Am I to be blamed for it? Is there fault in any one for what is come? Sex is no matter of choice with the world. Were it so, methinks thou hast not now been grieving. Thou sayest truly. It is no matter of choice with the world, but has not ever told that there is one who may choose always as he will. There is a fault, and it is the fault of God, God of God, Charles. Have I not had enough to bear? Could I not, now that the end cannot be far away, have no a little content in my old age? What has there been for me these thirty years, save sorrow? With the death of Gerald, I believe that the world held no further woe for me. But in the following months, hope, which I had thrown forever gone, came on me again. Combat is coming as I would. Yet the thought that an heir might be born to cripple's core. The thought that the line may yet be carried on to something better than this eternal sadness came to be so strong with me that I gave away, for that I was to joy.
and now, by the merciless wrath of God, fate makes sport of me again. God alone would have been so pitiless, and am I a mortal to forgive the Almighty for all the ill that He recklessly puts on me? In that speech, Eleanor's low voice had risen above its usual pitch and rang out in tones of deep-seated, passionate anger. Then Nazir paused in his walk to look at her as she spoke, and never had he felt himself in a more difficult position. Sincere as was his belief, there were indeed. Things in the divine order that his creed could not explain away. He dreaded to take the only orthodox stand, resignation and continued praise of the Lord, for in Eleanor's present state of mind, this would be worse than a mockery. And yet, in this, he was obliged at length to take his refuge. Eleanor, when Laurie, the infant, was first put into thy arms. Was so grieved that she was not a man child. I had Gerald, although not loved Laurie and cared for her through thy life, because she was thy child, flesh of thy flesh, blood of thy blood, conceived of great love, and born of suffering. Yeah, fairly, and despite her months of grievous wandering from thy side. Still hath he not given thee all the joy that Gerald gave? More, methinks, in that she hath ever been more my own than Eleanor. And there was joy in the man's tone. Take this child of thy son to thy heart and love her. Let her young innocence bring thee peace. Hold her close to thy life. And give and receive comfort through thy love. Seek not all because she is not what she cannot be. Assume not a knowledge greater than that of God. Trouble not thyself about the future, but rather take what is given thee and know that it is good. Shall not a young voice cause these walls to echo again to the sound of laughter? Will not a child bring light into thy life? Why should thou grieve because, in years after thy death, the coupon's core may fall into other hands than those of thy race? Thinks that thou the wilt be here to see it? For shame, Eleanor! Forget thy bitterness and find the joy that Gerald's widow already knows. Though she would not have acknowledged it, Eleanor was influenced by Bishop's words, and the change in her was already visible in her face. Judging wisely, then, Saint Nazaire let his plea rest where it was, and blessing her, said good night and left her to sleep or to pray. He could not tell which, and in truth, Eleanor slept. But in her sleep, love and pity entered into her heart. She woke in the early dawn, and, hardly thinking what she did, stole into Lenore's room, creeping softly to the bed where the sleeping mother and infant lay. At sight of them, a wave of feeling overswept her. 
She knew again the crowing joy of woman's life. She felt again the glory of youth. And when she returned to her solitude, it was to sweep away the greater part of the bitterness and to take into her inmost heart the helpless baby of Gerald. On the following morning, in the presence of an imposing company, the Lord Bishop officiating. The little girl was baptized. Laurie and Courtois were the godparents. Laurie, feeling that in being trusted with this holy office, she stood once more honorably in the eyes of the world. According to her mother's wish, the babe was christened Lenoir, and Alex guessed wrong when she thought the little one called after another of that name. When the ceremony was over, the baptismal feast lay ready spread. Madame took the child into her arms and carried it back to the mother. And Saint Nazaire, seeing the kiss that she spread upon the tiny cheek, realized that the cause was won. Madame Eleanor's lead was quickly followed by everyone in the castle, and. The disappointment at the baby sex wore away so rapidly that in a month probably no one would have admitted that had ever been any chagrin at all. Perhaps no royal heir had ever known more abject homage than was paid to that wee, bright-eyed, grey-faced, helpless creature who was perfectly contented only when she lay in her mother's arm. Lenore regained her strength slowly. Her long winter of idleness and grieving had ill-fitted her to bear the strain of what she had endured, and it was many weeks before she tried to leave her room. Thus, bit by bit, the whole life of the castle came to gravitate around her chamber. It was like a curd of which the young mother was queen, and. Where at certain hours of the day, all the womenfolk of Quiponscourt were wont to congregate. It was on an afternoon in the middle of May, when summer first hovered over the land, that Lenore was dressed for the first time. She sat in a semi-reclined position by the window, whence she could look off upon the sea, the baby at her side. And Alex, the only other person in the room, for nearly an hour, Lenore had been silent. One hand gently caressing the baby's little cheek, her big eyes wandering along the far horizon line, Alex was bent over a parchment manuscript, which Anselm had taught her how to read, and she scarcely raised her eyes from it. To look at anything in the room, her passage had become complicated and, at the same time, interesting. When Lenore's voice suddenly broke in upon her, Alex, it's long time now since I saw Courtois. Thinkest thou he's near and would come and talk to me? Alex let her poetry go and jumped hastily up. I will seek him, and he be about the castle. He will surely come. Lena smiled with pleasure.
thank the maiden. Let him come now at once. Alex, hugging Cotuas's secret to her heart, hurriedly left the room and ran downstairs straight upon Cotuas, who stood in the hall below. He was booted and spurred, and his horse waited for him in the doorway. Making a hasty apology to Alex, he was going on when he cried to him, "Cotuas, stay!" Madame Lenoir seeks thy presence. She would have thee go to her and talk with her for an hour this afternoon. Shall I tell her those written hawking? Holy Mary, say that, say that I come instantly. She has asked for me. Hurry, Alex, say that I come at once. Contois retreated to his room, trembling like a girl. He had forgotten his horse, which Alex considerably caused to be taken back to the stable, and while he removed his spurs and forcibly rearranged his dress and hair, he tried in vain to recover his equanimity. Then, when he could no longer torture himself with delay, he hurried away to the door of her room and there paused again. Remembering how many times since her illness he had stood there, both by night and by day, listening not always vainly for the sound of her voice, or for the little wailing cry of the hungry babe, and now, now he was to enter that sacred room, holier to him than any consecrated church of God. Now he was to look at her, to touch her hand. To fix his eyes upon her exquisite face, he drew a long breath and was about to tap on the door when it suddenly opened, and Alex, finding herself face to face with him, gave a little exclamation. "Holy saints! I was just coming to seek thee again. Has he forgotten that Madame waits for thee there? Come in." Antoine never noticed the mischief of Alex's tone, but went straight into the room and saw Lenore sitting by the window with the baby on her lap. She turned toward him, smiling and holding out her hand. He went over, looking at her thirstily, but not so that she could read what was in his heart. Then he realized vaguely that Alex had left the room. And that he was alone with Nenor. He's very long, Controis, very long, since we have seen each other. Why hast thou not come now, Madam? Had I put through though this have had me, thrice every day during my illness came I to thy door to ask after thee and the babe, and since then, often I have stood and listened. To hear if thou wast speaking here within, but I did not know. Enough, Contois. I thank thee. Thou's very good. Thou knowest thou's all that I have left to Geralt, and I could fain have thee oftener near me. Wilt take the babe, little one? She feels the strength of a man's arms, but seldom sit there younger with her. So she put the tiny bundle into his strong arms and laughed to see the half-terrified air 
with which the young fellow bore it over to the settle which he indicated. But when he had sat down, he laid the baby on his knees, and then, retaining careful hold of it, turned his whole look upon Lenore. She smiled at him, supremely unconscious of the electric thrills that were making the man's holy body quiver and tremble with emotion. Indeed, it would have been difficult enough to read his feelings in his matter, of the fact manner. For a long time they sat there, talking upon many subjects, but most of all about Gerald, whose name had scarcely crossed Lenore's lips since the time of his death. To Contois, it was an acute pain to hear her refer to the various incidents of her courtship in Rennes. What lack of her words, there was no suggestion of either grief or bitterness. She recalled her first acquaintance with Gerald fully, incident by incident, and caused the Contois to take an unwilling part in the reminiscences. He hoped continually to get her away from this subject, to matters how nearer both of them, but time sped on, and, as the sun began to near the sea, the baby woke from sleep with a little cry that Contois recognized with a pang. His hour was over, and he had gained little hope from it. Yet, as he returned the baby to its mother's arms, there was a smile for him in Lena's calm eyes, and he retreated with a beating heart as Madame Eleanor and Laurie came together into the room to spend their usual evening hour with the mother and the child. This hour of the day, the twilight time, the time of yearning for things long gone, had of late weeks been drawing these three women from the twilight castle very close together. Laurie, Lenoir, and Eleanor, these three, with Alex oft-times a shadow in the background, were accustomed to sit together, watching the sunset die over the great waters, and waiting for the appearance of the evening star upon the fading glow. And, in this time of silent companionship, each felt within her new growth, and a new half-sorrowful love for the life in this lowly habitation. The spell of solitude was weaving about them a slow, strong bond, which in after years none of these three felt any wish to break. Many dream shadows, the ghosts of forgotten lives, rose up for each of the darkening waves of the sea, and, with these spirits of memory or imagination, each one was making a life as real and as strong as the lives of those that dwelt out in the great world, for which, at one time or another, all of them had so deeply yearned. Each felt in her heart that her active life was over, and, as time passed, and thoughts began adequately to take the place of realities, none of them cared 
to keep alive the sharp stings of bitterness or of unavailing regret, they knew themselves dead to the great outer life that each, in her way, had known. Nor did they mourn themselves. What fire of life remained with them had been transformed into sacred dreams and ambitions for the future of that little creature swathed so carefully from the world. Now lying peacefully asleep upon the mother breast of Geralt's widow. End of chapter fourteen. Recording by Sunny.